and welcome to KRUI FM. I am Zoe and I am here with some special guests today to supplement for the usual news app for. So as you may or may not know, I am with KRUI, specifically the news team. And then I also have Nicole from Quill and Scroll, an international honor society for high school journalists. And Marissa from the Daily Iowan. And the reason all of these news sources are here right now is because we have two very special guests who you might have read about in your history books. We have John and Mary Beth Tinker, who were part of the Tinker versus Des Moines Independent School District case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Would you two like to say a little bit about the case or about your experience? Sure. Uh, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I attended the University of Iowa for a while, uh, lived over in Hillcrest Dormitory way back then, uh, when the uh, reporter from the Daily Iowan called to say, to tell me that we had won our Supreme Court case <laughs> <laughs> way back in 1969. And what the case was about is we had worn black armbands to a school. Mary Beth was in junior high, what they now call middle school. I was at in high school in Des Moines at North uh, High. And we had worn armbands to protest against the war in Vietnam. And the school authorities uh, had, when they found out we were going to do it, they uh, instantly created a ban against the wearing of armbands. And we wore them anyway, violating their ban. And so we were suspended from school and we decided to, um, to sue them in the federal court for violating our First Amendment rights. So we lost at the first court, but we appealed uh, to the appellate court in St. Louis, the federal appellate court, and they actually split four to four. And so it was the same effect as if we'd lost there too. And so we appealed to the Supreme Court and there we won uh, seven to two. So it was the first time that the Supreme Court had <clears throat> said that students in the public schools are persons under the law and that they're endowed with their First Amendment rights to freedom of expression. So that's the first time that was ever stated by the Supreme Court. And that was uh, exactly 50 years ago this past Sunday. So we're happy to be here in Iowa City and talking about our case. And you guys have been making the rounds at a few other schools, right? I was talking to you guys about it earlier. You've been on a tour, basically, right? Yes. Thank you, Zoe. It's so good to be here with all of you with the free press. And we're <laughs> huge fans of the free press. And we were just with some journalism students over at West High School and speaking to high school students and some fifth and sixth graders over there. So, yes, we've really been enjoying speaking with so many students and community members and People who care about the First Amendment and care about democracy and want to keep it alive. And so that's why we're, we're friends of the First Amendment, because it's our way to you know, really take part in democracy. And it is for young people also. Mm -hmm. This weekend, we were joined by students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland. Yeah. And also some students came up from Texas. They had been censored in their school high school newspaper but they succeeded in reversing the position of the principal, and now they are not being censored. So we've really been featuring student journalism, and it is the year of the student journalist, which mm -hmm. was just um, 
you know, announced by the Newseum in Washington, D.C. So we're great friends of the free press and student free speech, and so we're very, very happy to be here. And there will be a public reception uh, this evening at 7.30 at the Old Capitol. So we wanted to make sure and invite everyone to come up there if you'd like to know more about the case. Yes, we'll have armbands to sign and Ooh. coloring books, true stories of kids who speak up and use their First Amendment rights. So come on over and get your armband and coloring books and we can talk about all the things that, that you're standing up about. Yeah, for sure. And Mary, you mentioned that, um, the amazing impact that it's had on free press, which was super huge for us as uh, International Honor Society for High School Journalists. Um, and so I was going to ask you a question basically asking about, initially your protest was for wearing the armbands to school. Did you anticipate the kind of reaction it would have for the free press and liberating those students? No, we had no idea of the important um, you know, result of this case when we wore our little small black uh, bands of cloth on our arms. We were just making a small statement that we were mourning for the dead in Vietnam and calling for a Christmas truce. But later we found out that that is often how history is made by the small actions of ordinary people like us. The armbands had first been worn in 1963 in Iowa when four little girls were murdered in their church in Birmingham, Alabama mm -hmm. by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, Cynthia, Addie Mae, Carol, and Denise, they were about the same ages as we were. Uh, and so there were black armbands worn in Des Moines. We went to a memorial service there, and, and we wore black armbands there the first time. So it was a symbol that went back through history, but we had no idea that our small action would end up helping student press, helping student journalists, helping uh, young people who are speaking up about so many things, whether it's the environment or gun violence or uh, students speaking up against racism, students speaking up for animal rights, for the right to wear hats in school. I mean, just so many things. Do yep. you think, I'm so oh, sorry. Sorry. just want to segue. Do you think that it would have had, um, it would have taken more, like, a decade or more to for someone else to bring this to the Supreme Court or for another case to have such a strong impact? I think it probably would have happened the next week or the next mm -hmm. week after that because so many young people were speaking up at that time. Well, there were more and more starting to, and I've met students around the country that you know, were speaking up about it. it. It might have, who knows what would have happened, but I know there were other young people out there that cared about the war, whose families were being sent to war, and who cared about so many other issues. So it probably would have happened, but we just happened to be in the right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah, and what did being involved in such a high-profile uh, legal battle teach you at such a young age about advocacy and uh, challenging power? It's certainly a way of life, and it's a good way of life. That's what it's taught me, and that's why I like to talk to students in the schools, whether they're in fourth grade or whether they're in graduate programs or in law school or wherever they are. Uh, it's a good way of life to use your First Amendment rights to speak up about the things that matter. And you don't always win, but you get to meet lots of interesting people and it gives meaning to your life. I was just talking to some students this week, Robin and Jen, about the Labor Center here yeah. and how they've been speaking up for some time. I understand that that goes back 80 years. And one of the original planners of the armband action 53 years ago, Bruce Clark, was very active with the Labor Center. And now his daughter, Jen, has also been advocating. And so congratulations. I hear you had a big victory on that this week. Yeah, it was just this week, actually. It's really, really exciting. It's a great example of student activism 
going to work. Mm -hmm. And so, I, yeah, that's really great. I'd, I'd like to point out that, uh, as uh, Mary Beth said, we were protesting the war. We were not, at that time, fighting for our First Amendment rights. We were, we were wearing the armbands to protest against the war. And I remember our mother had quite an argument with our lawyer. Our lawyer saw it as a First Amendment case, which I think correctly it is a First Amendment case, but she wanted it to be a case to pronounce that the war itself was illegal and that, and that we had the right to wear the armbands because the war was illegal, which it doesn't really uh, fit well with our legal system. So we cared mostly about the war at the time. We weren't mostly concerned with our First Amendment rights, but we recognized that the First Amendment <coughs> was very important if we were going to be able to oppose the war. Do you think a lot of other students, or history would have been changed if students would have felt like they had more rights, or if they wouldn't have been stifled as much by schools and other institutions prior well, to the Supreme to, Court case? Yeah, I think so. Be, there used to be a, a policy, it was called en loco parentis, which meant that when children are at school, the school authorities are essentially their parents. And so the, the decision in our case changed that and children were recognized as persons under the law, and therefore they were endowed with their First Amendment rights. And so that had not been stated in so many words uh, before by the Supreme Court, and that's really what changed everything as far as the public schools go. But young people still face enormous discrimination, and they are, you are a, a discriminated group. Uh, this is a human rights issue, and I've come to see our case in that context. I'm a nurse and I've worked mostly with children and teenagers and uh, also studied public health. So I, I came to see young people as a group and look at their health overall as a group and found that young people are the most likely to live in poverty. For example, uh, young people, uh, many live under very polluted environments and almost 10,000 children in Flint, Michigan just got lead poisoning mm -hmm. from the water because of decisions made by adults, made by politicians who wanted to save money on the water. And there are so, and look at gun violence. Every three hours on average, a child or teenager is shot and killed in the United States. These are the result of policies not made by youth, but made by adults about youth. Youth are a, a group that really need to stand up uh, for their rights, like all other groups that have been discriminated against, whether it was women, or African-Americans, Native Americans, immigrants, all the groups that have not had equality and justice uh, are standing up and speaking up, and youth are doing that as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's really important, too, that you pointed out that the youth are one of the largest groups that is, their rights are being infringed upon right now. Um, and you mentioned earlier with the Texas school and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas that their rights are being infringed upon, um, and they're doing great work in order to combat that. What is your advice for similar um, students to take the kind of initiative that you took in 1965 uh, to take today? I say find even one person that you can talk to about the issue that you care about. If you're being personally um, mistreated or your rights are being infringed on personally on a personal level, whether it could be someone in your family or a friend or something like that at a personal level, find someone to talk to about it. Or if it's a larger political issue that you care about, Find a couple people that care about that issue, and then um, you know, think of some creative things that you can do about it. 
There were, and how could you use your five First Amendment rights? The right to free speech, free press, the right to assemble, the right to petition, the right to have your own religion. Maybe you can use one of those rights to speak up about it. There were some kids in Rhode Island recently and they got really sick and tired of all the test, test, testing all the time in their schools. And so they got together and they dressed up like guinea pigs and rats and they went to the legislature there and they testified and they said, we're not your guinea pigs and rats, quit testing us all the time. And they got on the front page of the local news and, and it was really great how they used their creativity to speak up about something. We were not cared. isolated individuals. I mean, uh, we were part of a group. We were part of the peace movement. And I think it's important for people to find other people that, that they can ally themselves with and, and make more of a group effort and, and not, be, not think that it's the, uh, the isolated individual, heroic individual. And the narrative is often going to want to turn people into that isolated individual that uh, is uh, like Sir Galahad, you know, against the dragon sort of thing. And we were not like that. We were part of a peace movement. And as it turned out, there, well, there started out to be a dozen or more students that wanted to wear the armband, but then it was banned by the school system. And so that narrowed the group. And then five of us wore the armband and were kicked out of school. And only three of us were able to sue because we had the support of our parents. Well, we, yeah, we had the support of the American Civil Liberties Union absolutely. as well. And they really came to our aid. The Iowa Civil Liberties Union has been hugely helpful, and they're still at it today. They're still speaking up about you know your right to have your five First Amendment rights and, and the other rights of the Bill of Rights. So, uh, you know, they're, they're speaking up against shackling of youth. They speak up about a lot of youth issues. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the American Civil Liberties Union, we had some other supporters as well. But as a nurse, I always say, you know, we, we like to assess if there's an issue we care about. So go out and assess. Find out who else is working on that issue. Maybe you can join up with them. And maybe you can join up with the American Civil Liberties Union. They're also <laughs> helping all of us to speak up for our rights. Yeah. And what is the role that you think uh, school administrators play in helping uh, foster civil discourse and encouraging students to exercise their First Amendment rights? Administrators have a huge role in that, of course. And John and I both speak with administrators very often. We also speak at groups like the National School Board Attorneys Association and school board meetings and things like that. The administrator has a huge role in setting the tone in the school and what they can really do to help things to make a school run better is to have the students have ways where they make major decisions also about what mm -hmm. happens in the school, whether it has to do with the curriculum or the start time or the priorities of the school or whether there will be a group in school, a club, that helps students talk about controversial issues. <clears throat> I've been in high schools where they've started a club at Roosevelt. They were talking about having a club they had just started where students could go once a week and talk about whether it was Me Too or racism, et cetera. And I was just wondering, do you have a club like that in your high school? And tell us what high school you're at. I'm actually at the University of Iowa. You're I just here. work for Quillen School as a journalist. Um, I'm part of their uh, editorial staff yeah. that I publish their magazine, things like that. But we do support chapters across the world. We're an international organization. So we do support Iowa City West, and we support a bunch of Des Moines schools 
um, and schools across the nation. But that is something that I think is really, really important in noticing um, the kind of clubs that administrators can allow students to engage in and be a part of their community and make change in their own respect. Because if you give these students the resources that they need, I think that they can do a lot with it. And I think that's important to recognize. There are uh, different kinds of administrators, and some administrators are primarily concerned with maintaining control, and other administrators are doing a really good job of, of teaching the kids that they do have rights and encouraging them to exercise their rights so they'll become participating members of our democratic society. So the, there are administrators all over the spectrum with regard to how they handle their schools. And we encourage administrators to see conflict in the school as an educational opportunity because ultimately we are all trying to live together in the society with multiple points of view. So that's, uh, in our case, uh, Abe Fortas, Justice Abe Fortas, wrote the majority opinion and he rallied all of the arguments that support uh, free speech in our society and he pointed out especially the need for free speech in the schools because that's where uh, kids are learning to be active citizens. Yeah, and I know that, um, Mary, this is something that you've said, people who um, tell you that students are our future, you say and you reply that they're our present. Uh, exactly. What exactly do you mean by that? Like, what do you want to tell people about like they are present currently right now. The students who reminded me that students are the present were a group of students that went to the United Nations uh, not too long ago to campaign for the Universal Declaration of Children's Rights mm -hmm. that the United States has still not signed on to, by the way. They're one of only two countries. And those kids said, we are not the problem, we are the solution. You say that we are the future, but we are also the present. Mm -hmm. And it's so true because young people don't have to wait for the future to get involved and speak up. I've talked to second graders who have had petitions about the circus because it was unfair to animals. Or they've had you know, some, something they're speaking up about their uniforms they don't like or, or different things. Uh, this week we were in the Des Moines schools for four days and one of the fifth graders told us that the issue that he really cares about is political corruption. <laughs> uh, you know, students are really paying attention and definitely are the present. Yeah. What do you think, each of you, is a right that is most often forgotten or not utilized as effectively as it could be? It's kind of a hard question. <laughs> well, the right to free speech is so important. And too often what happens is that we censor ourselves. We don't even wait to be censored. We just stop from saying something that we really care about because we're afraid that there might be some kind of pushback or there might be some kind of you know, uh, negative feedback that you get. So I think that's really a big problem today. It's just the fear of free speech and free, fear of, of, of you know, pushback that people end up censoring themselves. Social pressure is a very strong force and, and people recognize that. Whatever it is that you're afraid to say, it's very likely the same thing that you really need to figure out how to say because the society suppresses the ideas that it somehow would threaten some protected but not very nice aspect of the society. And so figuring out where that fear is, is often the way to figure out what needs to be said. 
So I would encourage everyone to be sensitive to when they're afraid to say something and then really think about that. Why are they afraid to say that? Yeah, and then we always encourage, of course, young people and all people of all ages to speak with respect to each other. And I think that's a, a big challenge of our time that we're living in right now is speaking to people that we disagree with. It is a skill. You can learn it. There are techniques out there that you can practice how to listen, number one, and to speak with each other with respect. Luckily, we do have a guide for that. It's called the First Amendment. <laughs> because in our democracy, we believe that all viewpoints you know, have a right to be heard. And, right. and you so know, you're raising an, an interesting point because we think of freedom of speech as the right to express ourselves. But it also gives us the opportunity to listen to what other people say, mm -hmm. and even people that we disagree with. And the ability to listen to someone who you disagree with is a really important skill yeah. in the democracy. Oh. The university actually has a very, it's, it's pretty big right now in the last 24 hours, this issue almost, I don't know, this, this discussion happening with free speech, where there are two divisions on campus talking about basically the right to free speech and what should actually be considered free. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is interesting to be having this conversation right now because the University of I Iowa climate is pretty divided. We have like this whole hashtag going with this UIowa love me and stories of people who feel like they have not been as appreciated by the mm -hmm. university, whether by it, that's whether that's the administration or the students themselves so and it all stems back from this idea of what free speech how much speech should be free sort of yeah it's a huge issue on college campuses across the country as far as um, you know what kind of speech should be protected by the administration mm -hmm. how much money should be sent to bring out security to protect unwelcome speech or hateful speech there is no real legal definition of hate speech, right? But um, I think we all know, you know, what that is like, and it's a very big issue on college campuses. There's a group called Fire, the Foundation of Individual Rights in Education, and that um, really takes up the issue of, of college and university free speech. Mm -hmm. And they rate different colleges for the climate there mm -hmm. of what the free speech atmosphere is. And I know there has been a bill in the Iowa legislature where we were this morning, that was really interesting, uh, to cordon off a section of the campus as a free speech mm -hmm. zone. So we've yeah. been asking students you know, what they think about that. And of course, that's been State an issue. That. Iowa State does. I think so. I mean, personally, I think the whole college should be a free speech zone. Sure. But when you talk about the controversies going on here, the bottom line is, should we have a right to talk about these things. And mm -hmm. do we need to talk about these things even though they are controversial? Mm -hmm. And I say yes, we have to find ways to talk about controversial things and I, not just to sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Think, think what you're doing when you create a free speech zone. You're saying on the other side of that boundary there's not free speech. Exactly. Now, how American is that? That, that doesn't make any sense. Another issue I think that we should talk briefly about is the equation of money with speech. Mm -hmm. The Citizens United case yeah. said that money is speech. And if we, I mean, I look at it and I say, wait a minute, 
isn't money money and speech speech? I mean, those are two distinct things. Why would we confuse them with each other? And I think it's important that we, uh, that we be able to distinguish between the two because otherwise it's going to be uh, one dollar, one vote instead of mm -hmm. one person, one vote. Yeah. Well, Zoe, can you tell us a little more about the division or what yeah. you're talking about in the last 24 hours? This and is getting interesting. You yeah. guys can obviously yeah. talk about it too. So I believe it started with this pro protest. This is like it's, a, it's a varied student-led, largely social media movement yeah. um, where like underrepresented communities, um, racial minorities, mm -hmm. the LGBTQ community, disabled students, mm -hmm. um, really anyone and everyone is speaking up about the experiences that they've had mm -hmm. on campus mm -hmm. and feeling oppressed and largely ignored by the institution as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and there was a protest last week where um, I don't I don't know a, was, a student group like yeah, constructed I don't know which group a. It was. It, was, it was sort of about the whole build the wall and. Uh -huh. They had a massive banner in this place that is usually used for student orgs to come, yeah. speak about whatever they want to speak uh -huh. about, and you have to in order to be in that spot as a student org, you have to get it approved by the university. So a lot of people are feeling discouraged and oppressed even that by the university's approval of their this organization's I usage see. of the space yeah. that you should have to get it so i mean students you, you should have a say about all of this how it's handled mm -hmm. and our students weighing in about how yeah they feel yeah because yeah, i mean uh -huh. the the university emphasized that it couldn't distinguish based on the content of what was in this protest you know, it couldn't distinguish sure. that content and mm -hmm. not let them have their demonstration yeah. right. there. Um, but students were concerned that uh, the expression of that kind of speech wasn't respectful to their identities. Mm -hmm. um, so that was perceived as a microaggression mm -hmm. against them. Yeah, well, this is a debate going on all over the country of what is the limit of free speech and can speech itself, because the limit has been the imminent threat of violence in the courts. And so people are arguing that speech itself is violent. I mean, I don't, it's a debate worth having, and mm -hmm. people are having that. I still kind of stick to the idea that violence is physical violence, and that speech that is not an imminent threat of violence should be allowed, and that the answer to that is to you know speak more. But I know a lot of, um, you know, Marginalized communities, as you say, who have been oppressed, um, some people in those groups feel like, well, they don't always have the, you know, chance to speak more mm -hmm. or to counter with more speech. And so it's a debate worth having. There, there are a couple of principles that um, I would encourage people to consider. And one of them is the principle of reciprocity. In other words, if, um, if one group gets a certain uh, consideration, what if the other group gets that consideration? In other words, look at it from the other side. Is it, are you going to be um, happy if the protection that you're seeking is also given to the other side? That's one principle. And the other is the idea of the slippery slope. If we start saying uh, we're going to prohibit this type of speech, where do you stop with that? Or, or can you stop with that? 
And so, for instance, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, is, uh, tends to be very protective of all speech, and even abhorrent speech, even the speech of a Nazi or someone who does project hate. And, and the reason for that is because they don't want to go down that slippery slope and, and have the government determining what is allowable to say or not. Yeah. And I think it does get hard because if you do start to restrict certain types of speech, then there are going to be a lot more cases going to going through the court system and even up to the Supreme Court over, okay, does this actually fall under our new definition of hate speech? And it is it is easier just to have free speech in general, but as you said, it's also it helps more for discussion because at some point you are barring there's a kind of violence that they call stochastic violence, and the, the chemist will understand what I mean by that. But when, when somebody projects hatred toward a certain group, then some fringe element somewhere is going to be influenced by that and will actually inflict violence. And so hate speech can verge into violence because it encourages violence. That's what you said, Mary Beth, when you said the imminent threat of violence. So, for instance, <clears throat> if, uh, if I get a crowd together and I start hating on some group and hating and hating and I get that crowd riled up and they start going out and beating up this group, mm -hmm. that, is, that is not allowed by our Constitution. But the uh, expressing, expression of an opinion that you don't like, uh, just to take an example, like say trans, trans people are being hated on by the left and the, and the right in some instances. Mm -hmm. And if it, if it doesn't inflict violence on them, they really have to answer it with speech. And in our system, the solution to bad speech is good speech. And that's the only real way we have of keeping it out of violence. And so I would encourage people to get their, get their act together and learn how to articulate their point of view and win the argument is really what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it does get hard when it comes down to marginalized communities and oppressors because a lot of the people who are marginalizing and oppressing other communities are the people who are in power. So it is it is hard mm -hmm. to kind of organize people's collective and fight back against this speech that they deem as hate speech because they don't have as many resources to do so. And so it is, it is hard to do what you're saying, but I do yeah. understand the value of it. Exactly. The, it is hard to do, but it's all the more reason why we have to take whatever courage we can find mm -hmm. and use it. And let me just add that the struggle for racial justice in our country has involved some of the most important precedents for First Amendment law and for free speech law. And some of the greatest leaders in the racial justice movement have been very clear on saying that the right to free speech is very important and that without that, uh, the situation of racial injustice that we have currently in the United States would, would be even worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me just play this quick PSA and then we can come back to a final closing remarks <laughs> for today.
The Iowa Youth Writing Project is a nonprofit, volunteer powered outreach organization that seeks to empower, inspire, and educate Iowa's children and teens through language arts and creative writing. The IYWP provides free after school and in school support to teachers and students in eastern Iowa. Support our mission. Visit IYWP.org and click donate or click volunteer to get involved. I can always think of something. <laughs> What Did do you want you me wanna... to say? All right, you can say whatever you want to say for the <laughs> the last like... few seconds. <laughs> well, I hope everyone minutes. will come out tonight to the Old Capitol. We're going to have a reception at 6 o'clock for the ACLU, and then at 7.30 we're having a program there, mm -hmm. a, a panel. And um, we, we want to talk more about what's going on here at um, the University of Iowa and, and the various issues that are going on mm -hmm. here, and you can chime in and and tell us what you think. Use your free speech rights. So we hope yeah. we'll see you all later tonight. Yeah. And then that is it for the news at four. Um, news at four, as always, sticks to the schedule of six four six four six throughout the week. So we'll be back again tomorrow at six o'clock. So this is it for today. Thank Thanks, you. Zoe. Thanks, everybody. Thank it was great being nice. here. Thank you. is provided by Little Village. Little Village is Iowa City's in